Gwen lived. He's just asleep. Gwen never died. Why is it that you're more interested? Like, I find that so fascinating that Gwen must be asleep, but Arthur died. Like. <laughs> Hey guys, welcome back to Merlison, a bi-weekly podcast about BBC's Merlin, where we talk about the show, the ships, the fandom, and the characters. I'm Miss Snowfox. And I'm Amortastic. And today we are going to be diving right back into our meet the actor category. So we've dealt with the boys, they are out of the way, and now we're moving on to our two leading ladies, the first one being the lovely Angel Colby. We're going to be talking all about her career and favourite performances and all of that jazz. We have a lovely guest with us today to help us out because... As you guys have probably figured out already, myself and Momo are a little biased towards Bradley and Colin, and we don't necessarily know that much about the ladies. So we brought someone on to help us out, and that is Damon. Say hi. Hello. Wonderful. We had a last-minute contribution for this episode. (laughs) Thank goodness. The magic Um, of Twitter. (laughs) I mean... Twitter has rarely been called magic, but in this instance, it most definitely <laughs> okay, the was power, The power of Twitter, I should have said. The Indeed. power of Twitter. But before we dive into all of the episode-related things, uh, let's have some admin from Momo. Take it away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we'll start with some news. Podfic Big Bang will run again this year. It's going to be a little different, that is, more relaxed from the usual Big Bang format. For more information on that, you can check out Podfic Big Bang on DreamMed. As we have no other news today, here's a list of continuously running challenges and events. Camelot Drabble, a writing challenge on LifeJournal. Merlin Stills, an icon-making challenge on LifeJournal. And the Merlin Forever weekly rewatch of Merlin the Show. And these fests are currently running or will run soon. Merlin's Spring Cleaning on Tumblr, a fest for all visual and auditory artists to finish their WIPs. Merlin Memory Month on Tumblr, a full month of prompts about the show for you to create fanworks for. It starts in May. After Kamlan Big Bang, the Merlin Big Bang that is open for sign-ups for writers until the 20th of May and for artists until the 20th of June on LifeJournal right now. And Merlin Reverse on LifeJournal has a check-up due as of today. And that has been it for news. Back to rocks. Yay. Um, lovely. So, as always, guys, we are going to get into some talkbacks. We know that you guys love these and we have plenty of them to catch up on. So let's just dive right into it. We've got two talkbacks to get through today. The first one is from Dragoness. I love the username. Absolutely awesome. And that was left on our episode for Eliane and Percival. Momo, I think you have some stuff to say first. So why don't you go ahead with this one? Dragoness says... I love the back and forth within this fandom and this podcast specifically, and I'm really glad there's an analysis on the characters at the Merlin fandom and Arthurian legends. 
And honestly, it's so great to hear that. <laughs> and finally, Dragoness said, I've always blanked on Elian and Percival's characterization, as there didn't seem to be any in the show. I like the idea of expanding on what we have of them, and I also look forward to more listening to more of this podcast. Oh, this is such a great fun ride. <laughs> We should we should be calling our listeners that the Mer listeners. The Mer listeners, because yeah, we have Mer listeners. I yeah, like that. Very I, much. I like that too. So. Oh gosh. Um, the next talk bag that we have is from Ellerwin. A nice long comment. So let's get right into it. So this was for our episode on Uther and Gaius, and I think a lot of this is to do with Uther. So she starts off by saying. As for 503 Uther, I think that the last moment when we see his complete self is in the spirit realm. Even when he says that he's disappointed in Arthur's decisions, you can see that he still cares about him. He doesn't want him to get trapped in the world of the dead. I will always love you, Arthur, are the last words we hear from him. And I quite like that. I mean, I think it's perfectly acceptable to suggest that, yeah, he would be a little bit miffed with the way that Arthur has done things. Although... I wonder if maybe he was a little bit willfully naive when he was alive that Arthur wouldn't do things his own way. Yeah, I don't understand how he would think that he would be like him. <laughs> hmm. It's just he's shown that he like doesn't agree, I guess, in a lot of ways with him. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I think Uther maybe kind of held the the hope that yeah. Arthur, once he was put in a situation of being king would come to his senses maybe I, d I don't know what Uther's thought process was <laughs> but um, yeah I mean Elowen says next everything after that is just some sort of an echo a manifestation of Uther's disappointment but it's not Uther because real Uther would never be able to harm Arthur which I think like definitely that definitely works for me that I yeah. think Uther would not willingly harm Arthur and and try to, to cause mayhem or instability in the kingdom. No. So I think that's that's right and I I agree that it's likely that the last time we saw the the real Uther was in the in the cave in the spirit realm and then everything after that is just sort of a manifestation of Maybe Arthur's worst fears? I feel like that could maybe work, that sort of the Arthur's worst fears came to haunt him. Yeah. You know, as a as a punishment for looking back when he wasn't supposed to look back. Maybe. I just... I also feel, though, that the spirit realm Uther, I, I do think that he was a little bit overly critical in that moment and I I don't know if I can kind of marry up the version of the Uther that we had as he was dying with the Uther that we had in that moment and if we if in this universe like you know spirits exist and they can look down upon what's going on like I would have thought Uther would have maybe had more words of you know oh I've missed you and you know he's been apart from his son for all these years but no, he's straight in there with the criticism, and I'm just a bit like, I don't know if I if I buy that either. I I personally think this entire episode was a bit of a dropped ball on the part of the writers. I don't oh, yeah. think I, I don't think it was necessary. I think that 
bringing Uther back for this was just a way of getting Anthony back, like part in bringing him back into the show to have like one final contribution from him. I think it was just a little bit silly to be honest, but you know, there we go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, next from Eloin, we have, um, I don't think Uther would execute Morgana for having magic. She is his daughter and he cares about her a lot. He did throw her into the dungeon for going against him, but he did the same when Arthur went against his order by getting a pretty flower for Merlin. And we know that Uther loves Arthur. Go ahead, Momo. <laughs> In season one and two, Morgana wasn't his daughter yet. I we, We've talked about this on this podcast before that in the first one or two seasons of Merlin, the writers didn't really know yet who was going to be related to whom, just like they didn't know Gwen was going to have a brother in the first season. And I think we agree that the writers uh, hadn't decided yet on on this dynamic that Morgana would be Uther's daughter, and thus their interactions are different. Plus, Uther not only put her in the dungeons, he had her chained to the wall. Arthur was locked in the dungeon, for sure, but he got free range of the cell, and a cot, and food. Morgana got some straw on the floor, and chains. So, you know, just for for comparison that, you know, Uther does punish Arthur, but even when he punishes Arthur, it's not as severely as he punished Morgana in that episode. And I'm not saying that Uther doesn't love Morgana, because he clearly does, and I I. I think he does. But I also think that Uther holds Morgana to a vastly different standard than he holds Arthur. That is to say, he almost holds her to a higher standard, in my opinion. Because when Morgana disappoints him, his fury and his disappointment are exponentially larger than when Arthur defies Uther. Yeah, and I think... At the end of the day, it's really, really difficult to predict what Uther would have done if he'd ever found out that Morgana had magic. I I have a sneaky feeling that it would have probably ended with some kind of banishment. I don't know if maybe death, but it's so hard for me to predict because obviously that never happened. And when he did find out who she was, it was already at a point where he was so shocked by it that all he felt was sadness like he couldn't even so you know maybe that's a reference to what might have happened had he found out in season two you know but I think had he found out in season two while she was still good I just don't see it going very well to be honest with you like I can't I can't foresee a happy ending with that I think that he maybe wouldn't have had her killed because she's so important to him. But I think that much like we saw with Arthur and Gwen in season four, Uther might have exiled Morgana for a good long while because he wouldn't be able to look at her because yeah. of, of what she would uh, symbolize for him that, you know, someone so close to him now has magic. So I think that's very likely that he would have exiled her, which then would have been a much more interesting motivation for Morgana to swear eternal revenge on on Uther. You know. Yeah. I think that would have been a really good motivator for her character rather than being I mean, it's not like she didn't have a motivator just by Uther 
being anti-magic and Morgana having magic and being so afraid to be herself and, and that's what motivates her clearly. But I think that, you know, being exiled by Uther would have would have helped that along quite a bit and I wouldn't have needed Morgoza's manipulation to that extent to make Morgana into like I feel like it would have been a more believable character development. Also if for example Arthur hadn't done anything to stop Uther from exiling Morgana. I was about to say the same thing. That would have been a good reason for Morgana to actually hate Arthur because as we've talked about before in this podcast, Morgana doesn't really have a good reason to hate Arthur. Except that she does for some <laughs> for some reason. But anyway, getting back to Elowen's comment. So I'd say that he would have acted like a total hypocrite and pretended that Morgana doesn't have magic. I quite like that, actually. Maybe he'd keep her imprisoned, and then he'd try to find a culprit who led his precious daughter on the path of magic. And that would be probably what would drive Morgana straight into the arms of Morgos, because she'd be able to free her and teach her about magic. And that's a really good kind of alternative to what we said. Yeah, I like that. I can totally see that, because we have proof of Uther thinking that. When Arthur in Season 3 declares that he'll give up his throne for Gwen, Uther also suspects magic-altering Arthur's mind. I mean, there is a there's sort of a history there for Uther as well because Gwen and her family have been uh, accused of magic at least twice in the past at this point. But even so, Uther is the one who will cry magic at the drop of a hat if it suits yeah. his needs and exactly. his, his children behaving out of character or behaving in a way that he doesn't understand is definitely something that will make him go, no, they must be bewitched. I also had this thought that he might have tried to send Morgana to whatever the equivalent of conversion therapy would have been for magic doers in the Middle Ages. If it's not, you know, killing them, because I, I suppose that's a sort of conversion therapy that they practiced in the Middle Ages. But You like... say that, but I just realized something about how we're like, oh, well, he definitely wouldn't kill her. He definitely wouldn't kill her. But... I would have probably said the same thing about Gaius, but he was happy to stand by and let Gaius be executed. Like, Gaius has been his, like, ride or die, like, since they were young, and yet yeah. he was happy to take Iridian's word for the fact that all of a sudden, out of nowhere, <laughs> he started practicing magic again. Yeah. So, I don't know, maybe... This is the thing, it's so uncertain what he would like. Uther is yeah. so unpredictable, that's yeah. the thing, he's so unpredictable. Um, but I do think that what what Elowen has put here about um actually trying to cope with it by searching for the person who kind of infiltrated Morgana's mind and made her think like a sorceress or whatever, <laughs> yeah. um, would probably be the um, the more realistic thing but at the end of the day you know if he did try to kill Morgana and she got free then you know that would be no turning back for sure for her and a very very good motivator for being evil so yeah. and then if no one else tried to stop him you know yeah that also could be exactly and I mean it could very well be that Arthur tried to stop him just not in public or that Arthur tried to free her but didn't succeed and she just never found out about it which would still give us the the viewers the satisfaction of Arthur being a good person who tried but Morgana the motivation to hate Arthur because she never found out about any of that. What do we have next? 
Elowen talks about Gaius. Gaius. And this comment is directed at me. I know it is. Because Elowen says, Gaius isn't a bad mentor, though. Merlin is a trained physician in the later seasons, and he clearly knows his stuff in that regard. So Gaius obviously taught him a lot. He's just a bad mentor for magical stuff. Which is literally what I was saying. <laughs> because being a doctor is a safe job. So Gaius focuses on teaching Merlin dad. But Merlin also needs more than med school Gaius. He needs magic school. He needs Hogwarts Gaius, basically. He needs both of the Gaiuses. But Gaius doesn't doesn't teach Merlin magic. Because why teach a boy how to control his magical powers? Do you ever wonder, though, maybe Gaius doesn't have as much knowledge as we're led to believe? Because maybe he just, you know, you can see how shocked he is by the things Merlin can do. Like, Gaius taught himself, like, was taught out of a textbook. He doesn't have the instinctual magic that Merlin has when he gets told that Merlin can, you know, do magic instinctually without doing any incantations he's he he doesn't believe it's even possible so maybe there's something to be said for the fact that guys just literally doesn't have the knowledge to teach merlin anything but there's no textual evidence for that we are led to believe that gaius does have the means to teach merlin some magic or to at least help him figure out magic is that though because all he does is give him a book he gives him a book in the first episode and his mentoring, I think, is what we see in the show textually is he his job, which I agree with you, he failed at, is to teach Merlin when and like when to use his magic and when it's safe and when it's not. But like you said, he usually changes his mind very quickly when it suits him. But in terms of actual knowledge, I'm not sure there's much textual evidence for him being this well of all knowledge because he literally just says, here's this book that I used. There you go. And then Merlin just kind of practices on its own. I think that comes from, like, Hunev's belief that Gaius yeah. can help Merlin. And we are never really corrected in that assumption. Yeah, like, exactly. we all still think, like, Hunev, that Gaius will be the one who can help Merlin figure things out. But Gaius just always discourages Merlin from using magic unless it suits Gaius' own needs. And it's just, yeah, I have I have a lot of beef with, with Gaius, honestly. And then the next comment by Elowen, it's actually sort of what we touched upon in our minor character episodes, uh, which is, let's be honest, if Merlin stayed with Hunith, he wouldn't get any better magical mentoring. And Hunith probably didn't know about druids, so Gaius must have seemed like the only possible choice, no matter how imperfect. And yeah, we pretty much touched on that, that, like, let's be honest, if you're Hunith and Merlin is struggling and he doesn't know what to do and he's struggling with his identity and people are starting to find out about his magic, even though magic is outlawed in Camelot, where else are you going to send him? And let, like, you know that your friend, brother, whoever, <laughs> studied magic. So yes, of course Merlin will be safe with him. So yeah, that makes complete sense, I think, to yeah, to do that. Elowen ends by giving us two more wrecks for... Mirtha fix concentrating on Uther's character and we will put them in the in the notes of this podcast so you can find them and read them for yourselves. Woohoo! Damon, do you have anything to add? <laughs> I was about to ask Damon, are you still there? Are you still awake? <laughs> um, I don't know, I don't really have much to add. 
Awesome. Yeah, that is all of the talkbacks. And here comes the long list of places where you can contact us. <laughs> so if you would like to leave us some feedback on our website, this is the place where we actually react to comments. As we've stated in a recent episode, we are becoming slightly more selective with the comments that we react to if we feel like we've already discussed the actual topic that you've commented on several times, uh, then we probably won't react to it. We'll just reply to it on the website unless you specifically tell us, please react to my comment. And then, of course, we'll react to your comment. But that is melissa.paracaproductions.com. If you type Melissa into Google, it should be the first search result that comes up. If you prefer to send us an ask or a direct message on Tumblr or reblog the episode post, then we are Melissa on Tumblr. We are Melissa on Twitter and you can at us or direct message us or reply to one of our tweets, all of that. And we will reply to there as well. You can send us an email at melissa.podcast at gmail.com and we'll reply to you via an email back. We are also on iTunes. So if you would like to listen to us on there and leave us a star rating or even a review, that would be really, really cool. Or if you just want to chat about the episodes with us and anything else to do with the podcast or you want to be a guest on the podcast and you want to come talk to us about it, then the best place to do that is, I mean, on any of these channels, really, but Discord, we have several channels open on our Melissa Discord where you can talk about the episodes or just about random stuff. And the link to that is on our Tumblr. So, yeah. You've got no excuse, guys. Come talk to us. <laughs> Truly. And if the person who gave us a one-star review on iTunes would do us the favor of, even if it's anonymously, come and talk to us about why they gave us this rating, we'd be happy to improve this podcast to earn more approval. Because I'm really curious as to what is so terrible about this podcast that earned us this one-star rating. I think it's that there isn't enough a cappella singing. <laughs> Listen, I, we sing all the time. You you break into Queen songs. <laughs> I, do. I I break into other random songs. It's True. not that we never sing. All right, let's move into the episode kind of portion of this podcast. And we would like Damon to introduce themselves because brand new guest. You know what that <laughs> means, guys. It's fandom history time. Ding, ding, we need ding, a little ding. jingle for this yeah. moment. I you're, I, I read her mind because I kind of, yeah, we're going to get a jingle for this moment wherever we get you. So, yeah, please tell us how you got into Merlin, what you do now in the Merlin fandom, if you're still kind of really actively in it. And if you want to be followed on social media, where we can find you. Okay. Um, well, I got into Merlin not so long ago, I guess, like mainly in 2016 when I rewatched it. Oh. I watched it as a kid before, but I was not, like, in any kind of, like, fandom stuff or anything. So, yeah, in 2016, I rewatched it, uh, and then I started on Instagram, got to Twitter, and, yeah, I do post, like, on Twitter, like, mainly I post Merlin stuff. I uh, I have a Tumblr, but I don't use it. <laughs> and um, I did start a YouTube channel recently where I talk about Merlin stuff. I'm trying to, like, start something, I guess. <laughs> trying trying it out and, like, maybe do other geek fandom stuff. Oh, that's awesome. I have to check that out. 
That does sound um, like it's right up my street, so I will definitely check that out. You should. I'm still yeah. figuring it out a little bit. It's not as organized as I would want it to be. Listen, neither um, neither was this po- neither is this podcast. To be honest, we are still. Excuse you. <laughs> okay, it is more organized now than it was a year and a half ago when we started. Yeah. Oh my god, has it been that long? Yes. That's crazy. Are you are you Set Pen Dragon on YouTube as well? I'm uh, I'm Set the Dragon on all my platforms. So like on Twitter, uh, I do have an Instagram, Set Pen Dragon Two. YouTube is also Set Pen Dragon. Tumblr is also Set Pen Dragon, and um, I've started to write fan fictions. So that is also Set Pen Dragon on Archive of Our Own. Yeah. Uh, what else can I say? I don't know actually. What I do mainly is shit posting about Merlin on Twitter actually. And I thought I'd do a little bit bigger stuff and started the YouTube channel. So yeah, that's mainly it. Awesome. Amazing. We love all the Merlin content creators, no matter what they're <laughs> oh, doing. Oh yeah. So. Oh yeah. Amazing. So are we ready to move into the episode proper? Yes. Mm-hmm. I think we yes. are. Amazing. So we are going to be discussing the lovely Angel Colby today. I have a disclaimer flashing before my eyes that I must read out to you, so I'll go ahead. We will be discussing various appearances and projects of Angel, and we'll probably end up spoiling some of them. We'll do our best to announce major spoilers before we blurt them out, but this is your general spoiler warning for the rest of the episode. So there you go. I don't know of anything that Angel is working on currently that is super in the kind of public eye... But yeah, like spoilery, kind of like you know, like something like Medici. I think the last show was kind of like if you discuss it too intensely, it's definitely spoilers because it's mm. like a mystery thing. The mm. Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah, yeah. Momo, why don't you tell us a bit about Angel's career thus far as an actor? Yes, and uh, Damon, I got this from mostly from Wikipedia and IMDb research. So when I get things wrong. Jump in and correct me right away, please. I will not mind. So, Angel was born on the 30th of August in 1980, which means she is a Virgo like me. More power to the Virgos. Also, can you believe that she'll be 40 next year? Because I can't. (laughs) Yeah. 40? 40, yeah. She will be 40. 4-0 next year. That's insane. (laughs) Right? Jesus Christ. No, yeah. that's not right. <laughs> it is. Though. I mean, good on her, but also I just can't believe that much time has passed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jesus. She is of Afro-Guyanese heritage and she studied acting in Edinburgh. Which I quite like that <laughs> people go to Scotland a lot to learn acting. I think Colin also went to acting school in Scotland if I'm not completely wrong and if I'm not mistaken she had her first TV appearance in Scariest Places on Earth as a student called Awasatect which is a <laughs> pun Awasatect yeah. and then her breakthrough came in 2001 in Johnny Vaughn's Horrible and she was in about half of the episodes. I have not seen that. I have, to be fair, I haven't seen most of her filmography. So <laughs> I have like I've not watched all of the older stuff, but like I know of them. And sometimes I like seen a little clip, like snippet of it, mm-hmm. but like not the whole thing. It's just okay. not like my stuff. Is it like the title sort of suggests that it's kind of making fun of the French? 
Is that what it I is? Think it was, I think it was a remake of something. I don't remember. In 2002, she had three projects she was working on. It's Having It Off, Casualty, and A Good Thief. I know nothing about any of these. Yeah, I couldn't find anything on A Good Thief. I think it's something that went on TV once and... It, you know, you can't, it's not available for to watch right. the stream or anything. Is Casualty a crime thing? Show? <laughs> no. <laughs> Casualty is a shitty hospital drama. Ah, okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Like, it's like that and Holby City is like, you have to, it's like baptism by fire for any UK actor. Like, you just have to go on both of them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, fair, fair. In 2003, she worked on two projects, The Second Coming and Man-Child, which is an intriguing title of a thing that I'm not sure I want to see. I think it's like the the main character is a bit of a stereotypical cishet white man, you know, that does (laughs) dumb shit all the time. I think it's, yeah. Does he get told off, though, is the important thing, or does he get away with doing... Yeah, a bit, I think. Okay. Well... Maybe I'll maybe I'll have a look at it someday. Yeah, the episode where she's in, she's with um Anthony Head actually. Oh, another project with Anthony Head. In two thousand four, she was in Making Waves, As If, Conviction, and Holby City. Yeah, I haven't watched any of those. Conviction, I think, is like a uh, detective thing again, like a crime. Yeah. That that one I did like see a, a little snippet, but I didn't watch it. Okay. And then the year after that, she got really busy, and she worked on The Jacket, Murder Investigation, yeah. sorry, Murder Investigation Team, The League of Gentlemen's Apocalypse, Vincent, and finally she had a cameo in the movie Imagine Me and You with Lina Hidi and Piper Parabo, and like her cameo is very short at the end of the movie. Yeah. And it's so cute because she's almost a bit like Beverly Gwen, like yeah. first season Gwen when she has a crush. It's so cute because she talks to the one of the main characters mm-hmm. and he tells her about how he's writing a book. And she's like, oh, that's good because I know how to read. Yeah. <laughs> and then she yeah, slaps was, her forehead and is like, like why did I just say? <laughs> just It's the cutest. Also, imagine me and you for people who don't know it is uh, a lesbian movie because well technically a lesbian movie <laughs> because the main character she gets she gets married but even as she gets married she falls in love with the florist of her wedding mm-hmm. and then then lesbian things ensue <laughs> <laughs> in 2006 she was on Hustle, The Bill, Tripping Over, and also had a blink and miss appearance in Doctor Who. For anyone who doesn't remember, she's in the David Tennant Doctor Who episode with the French aristocrats, and she's one of the um, ladies walking around with the Madame de Pompadour in the gardens. And she's Like, you really will miss her if you blink. In 2007, she was in several TV projects. There's Blue Murder, Magicians, Gina's Laughing Gear, Secret Life, New Street Law, Talk to Me, The Visit, and Life is Wild. And she was in one theater production, Statement of Regret. 
Can you tell us anything about any of these, Damon? These, um, not really. Okay. But I think, because like I, I, I watched one of the, um, one show that you haven't mentioned. I'm not sure. Okay. It was white. Uh, Vincent, that one, was somewhere also around 2005, yeah. Six. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. I'm not sure I heard it. I'm sorry. Oh, that's alright. <laughs> For the rest, um, I don't, I don't really, I don't have, I haven't watched any of these. Yeah. Like I know, I like I know about most of them, but like I haven't watched them. Yeah. I mean, it's also difficult to like. First of all, you have to find them, and then you have to watch them, and then there's a, <laughs> there's a good chance because I didn't check, but looking at this list of like eight TV projects in 2007, I'm assuming yeah. I'm assuming that in most of these, she's just a cameo. So you just yeah, she's like in in some of them she's in multiple episodes, but she's not a main character, you know. Yeah. So so it's just you might end up watching five episodes just to get two scenes worth of Angel. So mm-hmm. yeah, she was um in this like documentary movie. Uh, how is it called? I'm not sure which year it was, but um, Gods and Goddesses, something like that. Okay. I don't think I have that on my list, actually. Yeah, it was like a... She played... It was BBC. Okay. She played Calypso, so she played, like, the seductress. Mm. Um, yeah, I saw shots of that, and I and I couldn't... I, I, was, I was looking to, to, like, get it streamed, but I couldn't find it anywhere. Uh, that's a shame. Yeah. And now we are up to 2008, which, as most of us know, is when Merlin started. It looks like it looks like Angel didn't do anything while she was filming Merlin. At least no, nothing I that I could so. find. No, I don't think so. Yeah, and so she picks it back up with other projects in 2013, when she starred in Dancing on the Edge. Which I actually watched in its entirety. So finally something for me to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> she is actually yeah, is in the main cast. One. I would consider her part of the main cast. And for the people who haven't seen Dancing on the Edge. Let me give you a non-spoilery summary. <laughs> so Shivatel Ejiofor has a band. And King Uther encourages him to hire a singer. <laughs> so Shivatel hires Gwen. Shivatel also later starts a relationship with Princess Mithian, while King Uther and others continue to help the band and Gwen gain popularity. Gwen eventually catches the eyes of two princes who are brothers. So, in case you couldn't tell, there are a lot of people in this show that we've seen in other productions. <laughs> There's uh, Shivatel Ejiofor, who is the main character, there is Matthew Good, who is another main character, who also is in Imagine Me and You, by the way. Yeah. And in the cameo with her, actually. But the, and yeah, the, her cameo is with him. Matthew Good is also in Downtown Abbey, although I don't much remember him from it. He was in a couple of episodes, though. Then there is Janet Montgomery, who was Princess Mithian. There is Anthony Hatt, uh, whose character, by the way, is called Arthur. In this episode, <laughs> Un, who sometimes acts kind of paternal towards Angel's character in some scenes. Yeah, which is uh, very cute. Then there's John Goodman, Miles Richardson, who was, for anyone who has seen this Christmas movie with Katie McGrath, Miles Richardson is uh, one of the of the butlers 
the he is the I think he's the main butler, the one who goes to Buffalo to get Katie to to the kingdom. And then there's Jenna Coleman. So once again it is proven that Britain only has a handful of actors and actresses <laughs> and they recycle them through all of the all of the productions over and over. And it was BBC too. Yeah, it was BBC, it's the BBC too. They use the same ones. And they 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 take the piss of, out of themselves a little bit in this production, which is fun. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, I remember. So Angel plays a singer called Jessie Taylor, and apparently, I looked this up. Angel sang herself for this. Yeah, yeah, this. she sang herself. She Angel is Angel sings, and she sings I quite well. She... I liked it. Yeah, I found out she she used to sing uh, at church apparently. So yeah, and in drama school apparently as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I uh, I saw an interview with her when she uh, first started doing Dancing on the Edge, and they were like talking to her about the singing, and she was like, "Yeah, I mean, I've never really said anything because, like, you know, like you go to drama school and like everyone can sing, so it's <laughs> yeah, just, exactly. It's just not really like a big deal. Yeah, and yeah, it kind of came my way, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I really like her character. She is, she's a singer. She starts out very humble, and uh, she's she's religious. Like she before they play in front of. The Prince of Wales, I think, she sits down or kneels down to pray to God to, you know, give her confidence and to make her sing well in front of the prince and all of that. <laughs> and um, this is this is where it gets spoilery. She dies halfway through the show. Yeah, I think it's a la- not the last episode, but the one before that. I think uh, she. Let me think. There are five official episodes and one bonus episode. And I think yeah. she dies in episode three of the, okay. like, pretty much half halfway through or towards the end of, either towards the end of episode two or towards the end of episode three. I don't remember exactly. But she mm-hmm. she dies and then her death remains central to the plot or, like, is the center of the plot for the remaining episodes of the show. So even though her character is dead and Angel is gone her character mm-hmm. remains central to to the plot and i have some issues with the production overall but i think that angel was great in it i really liked her and i really liked her acting yeah it was a really interesting character yes I think. yes it was so subtle you can always figure out like what she was thinking yes i guess and i was at first because there's a in her character there's a shift in the character like like I said she starts out very humble and sort of sweet like the her first appearance is she refuses to audition to be a singer in the band until yeah, her friend gets there because there. she's like either we both get into the band or neither one of us and yeah. she goes from from this to this to someone who you think is sort of like the fame got to her head and she's She's starting to feel entitled to to fame and to attention. And I felt like that was mainly because of the boys' attention and it was really all centered about her seeing, I guess, that the guy wasn't like interesting in her, interested in her. It starts out with first Prince George being interested in her, and then the Prince of Wales is interested in her. So she gets she she gets more and more attention from people and yeah, that's sort of just uh, 
accumulates and snowballs into this like, oh yes, I have the attention of all of these men now who are rich and influential. And like, obviously she knows that marrying one of the princesses out of the question for her because this is set in the 1930s. But eventually uh, there is this other boy who is also rich and influential who gifts her a car in the 1930s to a black woman who can't even drive. (laughs) Yeah. And she's like, oh, right, okay. (laughs) This is things I can do, you know. And so that sort of... That kind of changes her. But looking back on it, you wonder if there wasn't a little bit of that in her, like the potential for that in her all along, or if it's really just the the fame that changed her, or if there wasn't like this. I don't know, because she, she kept looking very surprised, actually, when all these things happened to her. Yes. So, like, I don't think she expected all the things. Yeah, but at the same time, even in the beginning, she was like, oh, we have to look our best. And then when she walks into a room, she's like, very head held high and very confident and swaying her hips and like, oh yeah, I have I have magnetism on my side. You know, so looking back on it, you wonder how much of that was genuine and how much of it was show and I think it's it comes out somewhere in the middle because I think part of that really was genuinely her being sweet and humble and just not expecting any of this and then when it happens it just uh just swept her off her feet. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Angel Angel is very good in this, I think. And then also in 2013 started another show that she's been part of, or well, that she's still part of. I don't know if it stopped now. Yeah, it stopped. It's, like, it's done now after next, three seasons. Last year. Okay. Yeah. So there were three seasons of the show The Tunnel, in which she is a recurring background character. And again, yeah. let me describe the plot to you in a non-spoilery fashion. <laughs> Fleur de la Cour and Stannis Baratheon try to find a serial killer. Stannis is married to Gwen. Uh, among the suspects are Dariona Harris and Benjamin Stark. So again, we have a show that has many people from all over the place. Yeah, there's uh, Clémence Poésie, who plays Fleur in the Harry Potter movies. Uh, Stephen Delane, who is Stannis Baratheon. Uh, Joseph Maul? Rox, how do you pronounce that name? Do you know? Yeah, I guess Maul. Yeah, Joseph, Joseph Maul. Joseph yeah. yeah, he's Benjamin Stark in Game of Thrones. And then Ed Screen, I think, who is Dariana Harris in, I think, only the first season of Game of Thrones. I think they changed actors from season two on forwards. But uh, yeah, he used to be Dario, the superior Dario, because he's much prettier. And again, I have issues with this production, and, I've on- and I have only seen, like, half of the first season. So far, I'm not sure I'm going to keep watching the rest of it because of these issues, but uh, Angel is the main character's wife, and she, so far, she has shown up in every episode, and she's been she's been great. I find her really cute in contemporary productions with the shorter hair. Yeah. It's, uh, she looks very cute, and uh, I really like the way she portrays this character. But yeah, I'm not sure I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep watching. I only watched the first couple of episodes to see to see her. And um yeah. Have you seen the entire thing, Damon? Yeah, I saw all three seasons. Okay, is it I was actually I'm actually surprised because I thought I think it was the first season. I that was actually my favorite, I think. I had issues with the third season 
Yeah. And the second season was very, I don't know if it's because of my English, but it was very confusing to me, the second season. And the third was just, I have issues with it, but it was a good season. Yeah. Um, I just thought season one was the more interesting um, villain, I think. Okay. Well, my issues are, and this is going to be spoilery, so um, mute me now if you don't want to hear <laughs> this, uh, my listeners. But my issues with the first season so far are um he cheats on her first of all mm-hmm. i'm like why why the fuck is this necessary just, yeah and um, a bit of a complicated character i think i don't really i don't really like him much yeah but I like that's his, that's the like, thing you know the with the whole how do we make this cishet white dude in his 40s or what he's supposed to be interesting and edgy oh let him cheat on his wife Mm -hmm. on his black wife who has born him three mixed race kids who are all very cute and who is also pregnant now Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know I was like yeah Yeah, I really hated it that story but it was it was really his character because you hear like that he was like that in his back. He's like, I don't know how you say it, like promiscuous or whatever. You know, that's really his character. And obviously, like, it's still not an excuse. I would have liked him to like, you know, you're in love. So like, just be faithful. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, especially because in the same episode, he gives Elise this speech about being faithful and loving someone. Oh, yeah, right. And she yeah, was like, yeah. uh, I don't get it. How can one woman replace... Like, she basically was like, why would you tie yourself... But that was to- like the foreshadowing. She said it. Yeah. And you have this moment of, he's not. That's that He doesn't know because he's not. You know? He pretends. He thinks he can, but he's... Yeah, I don't know. He's just an asshole. <laughs> yeah. So... I'm just, ugh. And the other thing that really put me off is this absolutely unnecessary, heavily implied, and even started to show rape scene. And there's a oh, right. there's a rape scene in the first season where a refugee from, I think, Romania is forced to prostitute herself in order to get some help from from someone. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it was already implied, because we know mm-hmm. that the character who makes her do it is a pimp, so we already know that's what he's referring to when they talk about it on the phone. I don't see why it was necessary for us to see her get pushed down onto her knees while two men are taking off their yeah, trousers. Remember, right, right. I'm just like, yeah. why? What what is the point of of us of making me watch this? I mean, I skip most of the scene, but I'm just yeah. like, why am I forced to see this? It was mm-hmm. implied well enough by just their conversation on the phone that this is how it would go, you know. Yeah. So that was like, I don't I don't like shows that put unnecessary rape scenes into. Mm-hmm into it because let's be honest most rape scenes are unnecessary yeah uh, yeah but yeah i don't know if i'll keep watching like on the one hand i'm curious to find out who the, yeah, the villain the, of the first guy. season is if it's someone that's already been introduced as another character you know whom you wouldn't suspect or if it's someone completely new 
Yeah, the intrigue is really well done. That's what I liked in the first, and um, I guess in the second season too. The, the intrigue is is very interesting. Yeah, and I do like Fleur de la Cour's. I say Fleur, Fleur de la Cour. I mean Clémence <laughs> Poésie. Yeah. I like her character a lot, honestly. Yeah. Although I'm again with her characterization, I have some issues with like, um, she is very work oriented and very focused on on her work and then at the same time the the show is trying to make her more approachable more more feminine and and make us viewers see that she has you know that she has needs and desires because she goes out and gets sex and then um people start mm -hmm. trying to get her into a relationship and i'm just like why <laughs> She can just she can just enjoy sex, or she could just not want sex at all. That would still be as valid, and still be as interesting. But again, nah, whatever. Mm -hmm. Okay, moving on. While she was filming the tunnel, she also had a couple of other projects going on because I think also the tunnel probably uh, it was expanded. Given that it took about five years to get the whole thing out, they weren't yeah, filming constantly. Yeah, I don't know how long it took that to take the first season i think that was the longest was it i think the first season was the longest the third season is pretty short if i remember well okay i'll see if i keep watching it i'm i'm not decided yet yeah so the viewers are lucky i'm not spoiling more for them at this point <laughs> because i'm not spoiling myself yeah. <laughs> in 2014 she was part of another theater production of good people yeah I did watch a little clip of that, but I couldn't find. I mean, I haven't really looked yet the whole thing. Yeah. But I had seen a little thing. That was that. That looked really interesting, actually. It's difficult to find theater, yeah, theater recordings stuff. when they aren't like national theater style. Yeah, yeah. We were talking about this in the Discord just the other day. How it's like hard to find, really uh, for example, Collins theater work because most of it isn't taped, or even when it is taped, it's not released to the public, and it never yeah. gets leaked. So it's yeah. it's difficult for us to find uh, recordings of theater projects ever of any of the, mm -hmm. the people. And then there's school theater projects apparently. Like she's been in like loads of school stuff, I guess. Then yeah. those things aren't even like really like they're not they're not like wrecked in her Wikipedia or stuff like that. I think it's wrecked in her. On one thing I found, I'm not I'm not sure. I think mm -hmm. on her agent's page, yeah, I saw like loads of like theater stuff, and I was like, when did that happen? But it was <laughs> it was probably old school yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. I think I found references to how she did a lot of theater while in drama school. While in school, yeah, yeah probably. So. And then in 2015, she started um an animate like she started voice acting for an animated show yeah it's called thunderbirds are go yeah 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 and it's still going on that's actually pretty popular apparently is it what is it is it a yeah. kids show or is it it's, uh, it's i guess it's like i don't know avatar it's a kids show but people love it okay. you know so you watch it with your kids i guess stuff like that because it's not it's not it's not like super easy kids show it's that there's definitely an intrigue and stuff like that happening i haven't watched a lot i've watched like one episode but mm -hmm. like i i like I, I followed what it was about a little bit and mm -hmm. so it's like 
a bit like I guess kid action maybe. Okay. How to describe it? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so that's still going on. Yeah, that's still going and, on. And oh, and Asa. Do you say Asa or Asa? I'm not sure. Asa uh, Butterfield. Feel? Yeah. Yeah, he did a he did a guest appearance. Ah. Well, guest voice acting, I guess. Ah, nice. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah, all the all the all the Merlin actors being reunited <laughs> at some point or another. It's just. Yeah, that's so funny. It's, I mean, it's with the. Uh, uh, with Dancing on the Edge, we are up to two for Angel. Oh, up to three actually. With for Angel and Anthony working together, it's yeah. It's just they just keep bumping into each other. I love it. True. In 2016, she did two things besides you know the tunnel and Thunderbirds. Are yeah. Gone. She did two additional projects. One of them is Undercover, which I know nothing about. Uh yeah, detective show. I haven't watched it. I I keep saying I should watch it. I need to do like, <laughs> like watch all these things that I want to watch of her. Like, cause like I don't, obviously I'm not gonna watch all her older stuff because I'm not interested in it. Interested in it. But like undercover seems pretty interesting, mm-hmm. and um, there's other actors I like. There's actually the actor of who does he play? Um, the assassin in Merlin. Uh, the black assassin. Yeah, I think it's him. I think he plays the lead role. Oh, Wait, okay. what's his name? Interesting. Forgot. Myro. Myro. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's him, if I remember correctly. <laughs> and then the other thing she did in that year is is an episode of Hooten and the Lady, which I just watched a couple yeah. of hours ago today, in which, funnily enough, she is, spoiler, an undercover <laughs> cop <laughs> yeah. from Greece. And I'm just one like, so she plays a Greek woman yeah. who has gone undercover in Egypt and I'm just very interested in knowing in finding out from someone who is from Greece how good her accent is <laughs> how convincing her know. accent is like I know some uh, Greece people but they're like immigrants from like they've lived here their whole uh, life right. so they don't have an accent yeah well that's <laughs> something that's the first time I've heard her speak yeah, with an accent. I was like, ooh, that's yeah, interesting. That was, that was very interesting. <laughs> I mean, it sounds it sounds great to me, but I'm not Greek, so yeah, I exactly. would know. <laughs> exactly. When she's when she plays as German, I'll I'll be able to tell you better <laughs> how her accent is, but until then, mm, <laughs> I guess I'll Yeah. Yeah. What I do like about her character, first of all, um she's badass. Yeah, she looks so good. She she is so hot in it. And um Again, with the shorter haircut and contemporary clothes, she wears a lot of leather, which is yeah. <laughs> very nice. A very good look on her. She has a tattoo. That's also hot. And also, at the end, it turns out she's queer. Yeah. Best part. I, like I mean, I should have known by the leather jacket, honestly. True. <laughs> and the way she's so annoyed by the guy after he finds out, I guess, that she's uh, a spy. Yeah. She like keeps rolling her eyes at him and stuff like that. <laughs> yes. She's like, yes. Okay, so, we get it. Exactly. So that was that was really great, and yeah, and so that that is Hooten and the lady. It's she's just it's an entire show, and the the premise of the show is like this very proper um archaeologist lady who <laughs> works for the British Museum, and then this <laughs> just sort of um. Indiana Jones 
going yeah. wrong. Like, this is a not charming kind of Indiana Jones where he's just yeah. like, he blows up things with dynamite to excavate a site. And I'm just like, no. He's a mess. <laughs> this is not how you do it. And um, that's, so they work together and try to find uh, mysterious archaeological sites and this time they are mm-hmm. in Egypt to find the the resting place, the last resting place of Alexander the Great. So it's yeah. I don't think I'd be up for watching more of this because uh Hooten yeah. who is the guy, he gets on my nerves so much. Yeah, I wouldn't watch it either. It's I'm just like, no, I would not be able to watch more of this show because I'd probably stab my television. <laughs> Uh, but just for this one episode with Angel, who beats the crap out of You don't really need to watch the whole thing. Yeah, yeah you just Angel, watch that Angel, if you want to watch it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You can watch this episode as a standalone and wa- standalone and watch Angel uh, beat the crap Pick out of ass. him. It's, <laughs> it's amazing. All right. In 2017, she worked on Men in an Orange Shirt and Body yeah. Slam. Are these are these two out yet? Or are her well, projects like... Well, Men in an Orange Shirt is out. Uh, Body Slam is a production of, um, apparently it's like a student, his like film for some kind of like festival or award or whatever. Uh, so I'm not sure, I'm not sure it will be out actually. Okay. That's really a thing. So there's like this little snippet that he posted on his, um, video, I think. But like there's no news that he will post it or like officially, which is kind of weird because it's on IMDb. Mm-hmm. So it's a shame that it's not available available for the public eye. Yeah, I guess maybe it's maybe like a one short day. Movie. Yeah, hopefully. There's a thing. There's a whole thing with like Colin Morgan's projects that he films them and then it takes about five years for them to actually get released to the public because they just do the entire film festival tour. Yeah, they don't. Yeah, and it takes ages for something to come out. So that's very normal. Unfortunately, it's very yeah. frustrating. Like even um. When I was recently at MCM Birmingham and we saw the panel with Rupert and Alex, they were both talking about how they were like, yeah, we've both done stuff, but like, we're just waiting for them to be released. <laughs> like, because, oh, right. yeah, they either, what happens is you, you, you either have, to, you either have to do the festival circuit or you film stuff and then things get delayed. So for example, crew, may not be available you know for post-production or post-production gets delayed or you have to go and do reshoots or more specifically what usually happens is you have to arrange an appropriate release slot for the movie uh which will then have to go through obviously the studio's marketing and like that is what takes up a lot of time so you may film something and then like actually just be waiting like it it could be finished and you're just waiting for the right release slot which is obviously very very annoying especially since you know if you're a small film then I mean I don't know exactly how it works but obviously big studio films will kind of get first pickings of when they get to release their films and they have a very strategic plan and then you kind of just have to be like okay like I'll release mine here or something you know so very annoying for like small filmmakers. Uh, Getting back to Angel's actual career in 2018 she worked on Innocent again I know nothing about this project or if it's even out yet. Yeah yeah it was out it was actually delayed so many times on ITV because it's like an ITV production Mm -hmm. 
But it went out on other channels over the world before it went out on ITV. That's hilarious. So, like, I could watch it on, like, a Dutch channel before ITV had released it in the UK. It was so weird. Right. So, yeah. But, like, I was happy, obviously. I could watch it. (laughs) Yeah. That was a good one because, like, she had a main role and she was really, like, one of the centers of, like, the of the show so that was cool that was really what what genre is this um detective okay. crime i guess okay. no not crime like detect- detective okay. i'm not good with genres okay. is there because this is where my where my filmography for angel ends is there anything i missed that came out later um no innocent was uh the last thing okay yeah innocent was the last thing yeah okay awesome so we've we've caught up with with angel's career yep which is which is great she's also for those who uh who don't know she is on twitter as hashia beak yeah not angel colby as you might suspect it's hashia beak yeah i think angel colby is an an active account yeah so that's yeah Yeah. i guess and uh i guess you can also follow what is it, Angel Colby Army? So, yeah, you can go to Angel Colby Army for angel updates and general angel tweeting, but if you want to follow Angel herself, it's Hushia Beak, and she infrequently tweets about politics. Yep. <laughs> uh, she also coined the hashtag Love Merlin Hate Racism a couple of years ago. Right. So, that's, that's good, because she was like, well... It was because she was talking about really important, like, political racist issues, I guess. Yeah, and people kept asking and her about Merlin. everybody was, like, commenting about Merlin, yeah. yeah. So, like, she's like, okay, guys, but, like, this is also important. Yeah, this is... Yeah. <laughs> this is a yeah. thing that happens to a lot of actors, but, of course, to to Angel, it would be even more aggravating. I can I can totally see that. Yeah, because it's not just like a normal post that she's making and you're commenting about Merlin. It's legit like an important political yeah. thing. Yeah. So I guess that was maybe like the point where she was like, okay, guys. <laughs> let, let me be politely passive-aggressive, which I fully fully endorse in, in this situation. Yeah. I'm like, yes, do the thing. That's so weird because by looking at that hashtag, I would have assumed it would have been a hashtag related to Merlin itself, as in like, love Merlin, hate racism in the fandom. Oh, no. oh right. Yeah. yeah. That's what I thought like, when I saw it. Yeah, it's a very misleading hashtag. <laughs> very misleading hashtag, but yeah. I mean, I'm sure that Angel also encourages you to hate racism in Merlin. I'm sure. but <laughs> yeah. It was more like a general statement, but it was... Yeah you know, pushed out because of the whole political things happening. Yeah, and and I mean, if you know the context that people just kept badgering her about Merlin when she was actually trying to talk about actual political important mm-hmm. stuff, then the hashtag makes sense. But if you only come across the hashtag without the context, yeah, then yeah. But I think now the hashtag, like, is kind of used to, like, general like, statements. So some people have it, like, in their bio because they know that it can mean Stop being, you know, racist in the Merlin fandom or stuff like that. Yeah. You know, they kind of they kind of use it as something general, but it definitely came out because of these political stuff. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit more about Angel's acting style and her character selection. And before talking about her filmography with someone who has seen more of her stuff, and now while talking through it, I notice that she's in a lot of crime or detective shows. Yeah, true, true. <laughs> 
but like other all the other ones are so old i was like not interested in it but like innocence was like it's it's was from last year and that was really good yeah and like vincent was kind of okay but i haven't watched everything either so yeah and i mean yeah she's not i because i haven't seen all of them or done more research i can't even say and what the ratio is of her being actual sort of detective or police staff versus just mm-hmm, unrelated right. character like in in dancing oh, on the edge right. which is sort of a murder mystery kind of like yeah there's a mystery going on with the investigation yeah it's a it's a political racism culture show turned all of that plus murder mystery but in that she is the yeah. victim in the tunnel she is the detective's the wife, wife yeah, you yeah. know in... And she does get involved in in the shit happening, the crime happening, so um, the most in season one. By the way, I don't know if that's a spoiler, but um, yeah. but yeah, she's actively at one point um involved in the like the bad stuff happening. I guess. Okay. But she's not like she's not a detective or anything. Okay. Yeah, and then in Hooten and the Lady, she is an undercover right. police woman from Greece, which. Right. You know, at least it's something. <laughs> yeah, it's like a different angle because of the undercover and the yeah. whole jacket-wearing girl, I guess. <laughs> a bit different vibe than just police, police, I guess. Yeah. And then Innocent, yeah, she's the main detective on the um, project, how do you call that? On the case. Yeah. She's a main detective, so. Okay. Well, that's good. She deserves. She deserves to be the detective. <laughs> yeah, that one was really done well. Like, I'm, I don't watch crime shows or like detective shows. Yeah, but, like, me this neither. One That's really why well I'm done. not super interested in continuing with the tunnel. I'm just like, mm. true. Yeah, <laughs> it's really Honestly. weird that like none of them, like apart from Bradley, and I think Katie did one other kind of period project, but oh. none of them have really gone into like anything similar to what Merlin was like a lot of the time I find no but like I feel like especially with British actors they do tend to kind of like British TV does love its period dramas even Mm -hmm. though I wouldn't call Merlin a period drama it was like I would call Downton Abbey a period drama but Merlin was like a family fantasy show but like it does a lot of shows like that you know I've mentioned Robin Hood I've mentioned Merlin Atlantis like it it has Downton Abbey um it has a lot of shows that have that edge to it and obviously at the moment we have a lot of ones uh or, or or did anyway we had you know uh Bourgeois, there was Game of Thrones, Rain, all these kinds of shows, and it's very, it's it's interesting that this was their big, well, I would call it probably most of their big breaks, and yet right. they haven't really returned to that. Angel probably gone more off the rails with her genre than the others, although Colin also, but he's, you know, he's kind of Colin. He has done period stuff, but but he's just kind of. I feel like because Angel has kind of done, based on what like you guys have been talking about, so so much more contemporary stuff, like you know with the crime shows and like all that kind of stuff. It, yeah, it's very interesting that she kind of went so far removed from Merlin and hasn't returned to like a a piece mm-hmm. similar to it. Whereas Bradley's done Medici, Katie. Did she do like um? Oh, she did that Arthurian movie like. She was a cameo in that. Yeah, Arthurian. KG yeah. was in the Arthurian movie. Yeah. Yeah, but she also did 
a show that was like oh right, there's, there was another period show I can't yeah remember. that like no one watched um <laughs> I can't remember the name but like I've seen photos yeah, of her like, wearing a period dress yeah uh, and Colin obviously hasn't either done anything like that. But yeah, Angel has like gone into the yeah leather jacket wearing crime fighting <laughs> direction. And I wonder like if if Gwen was just kind of like a role that she, you know, it was just the role that attracted her, or if it was the I opportunity. Think, yeah, I kind of think that she goes for different roles, but she also doesn't go for like the big things. I think. I don't think anybody expected expected Merlin maybe to be this big. Right. I yeah. don't know. So like she doesn't. She really does low key stuff. I guess she like chooses stuff she's like interested in and things like could be interesting, but like aren't like these huge like productions and stuff like that. I also wonder how much of that is what is actually available to her, because mm. there is definitely. Uh, coming back to love Merlin and hate racism, there is very definitely a bias on the part of uh, casting where mm. a lot of roles aren't offered to sure. non-white yeah. actresses, where she is very lim- might be rather limited in what she actually, you know, is allowed to play. Mm. So yeah, I, I wonder how much of that plays plays into that, or if it's just because I mean Angel is not as famous as maybe Bradley or Colin or even like Katie who has made it to to US TV shows or Alex who has made it on on Versailles for example. Like I wonder how much is actually available to Angel as an actress in in terms of roles that will cast her which is interesting because you know you would i mean again this is all speculative because maybe just angel isn't interested in doing period roles anymore but considering that she was cast in this role in 2008 and now you know it's over 10 years later you would you know i feel like the entertainment industry is a lot more open-minded and willing to cast people of color in period pieces and even in uh the new mary queen of scots film i haven't seen it uh, i have probably i don't really have much interest in seeing it but i know that there are people of color playing mm. like historic parts in that um for example and i think that was like a conscious yeah. uh, uh thing on the part of the director so i mean it's also I, entirely I, possible that she's just not interested i i would yeah. imagine that she was interested in for example dancing on the edge because a singing and b it is it's black centric too. It is like... it is a black centric story, and the the majority yeah. of the cat, but well, maybe not the majority, but a good half of the cast are black. So I would assume that this aligns with her political interests as well, where she's like, well, I want to be part of this because it's a story that deserves to be told. Because the story, uh, coming back to these spoilers, ends in how. Uh, the rich white boy who was courting her, he is the one who tried to rape her and then murdered her when she refused him. And his crime gets covered up by his mentor and benefactor. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot of money in play. And it's it's a whole, uh, basically a whole conspiracy where, where they cover up for this young man's 
crime just because it would right. ruin his bright future and instead they frame and blame it on uh Shibutel Ejiofor's character who is the main character of the of the show right and who is a black who's man, also a black who man, is a black yeah, man right. and he gets blamed for the crime even though he didn't commit it and but they they basically bend over backwards the white people to frame him and to collect evidence to make it look like he did it and then he mm. is forced to to flee the country illegally in order to escape prosecution and probably execution i would assume and right. so this has a very strong political message this uh right. mini series and i would assume that that is part of what drew angel to the character yeah probably yeah. which is interesting because we never ever heard her well i mean listen i've i've watched a lot of merlin interviews but i obviously probably haven't seen them all and i know 2008 was not really the same as 2019 but i did i have never heard anyone associated with merlin discussing the casting of, of a black actress to play gwen right. um which is which is interesting and what i find very fascinating about her casting specifically is that you know now i think that the dialogue in hollywood is very much of pushing the envelope to highlight the fact that we're casting these people of color these movies mm -hmm. that are about people of color and that is a huge uh focal point not only of marketing but also of the story as it should be mm -hmm. and yet really weirdly enough you know this whole um uh kind of uh probably by many people thought incorrect stance of oh i don't see color sort of thing is actually very present in merlin because gwen's color is actually kind of invisible she's right. not she's she's not really her race and her color is of no interest to the plot or her she's not treated any differently by any of the characters and by all intents and purposes is like everybody else so mm -hmm. that's really interesting to me that that is the envelope that was kind of being pushed in 2008, even to the point of the marketing where no one discusses it. Can you imagine, like, that wouldn't happen now. If she was cast yeah. now, it, w it would be brought up all the time. Oh, isn't this amazing that you have a black actress well, playing Gwenevere? You did have backlash, like, um, but, like, from the fans. Uh, right, uh, yeah. But I don't think There's... I heard anybody, like, from the production it itself talk about it. Yeah, I what I'm... So. Also, just as we were talking about this uh, notice, which is sort of an issue, which brings it back to how she was cast in 2008, is that Gwen starts out as a servant, and she remains a servant for a good portion of the story. She isn't queen until the end of season four, which is when she gets elevated. Mm -hmm. Imagine if the Lady Morgana had been cast as a black woman. Mm, that would right. hold uh that would have been like she would have already been noble and that would also have been the implication later when it is when they do decide that Uther uh is Morgana's father, it would also hold the implication that Uther slept with a black woman. Mm. You know, and that obviously this other black woman was also a noble woman married to another uh to another noble man and all of that. But because Gwen starts out as a servant, which is, um, and please understand that I'm saying this with a heavy dose of sarcasm, an acceptable role for black people to play. 
it's, I mean, it's still, you know, obviously it still garnered backlash because we all knew that Gwen was supposed to be Guinevere King, uh, the, the, the wife of King Arthur eventually. But for the majority of the show, Gwen is a servant and she remains a servant and she gets uh, humiliated a lot of times. She gets thrown on the floor and treated poorly and worse than other servants because she is accused of all kinds of crimes. And I, I wonder how much of that is motivated, maybe not motivated, but just made worse by the color of her skin. Imagine yeah, if- it's very double-sided because you have that aspect, but at, at the end of the day, it's also the aspect of they casted this iconic Guinevere character as the black woman. So yeah, yeah. It's very so it's a double-edged sword basically, yeah. and it's it's you, yeah. But we've already discussed in terms of Gwen how you know it's yeah if 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 Morgan and and I mean obviously you know there's there's no reason to say that they could, both could have been cast as black women but if we're saying oh let's just say one of them was cast I wonder if perhaps there isn't you know what would be perhaps better is to have the the uh, the kind and caring and humble um, beginnings character who then becomes an authoritative figure of power who outlives them all versus a noble woman who becomes a villain as a black yeah, woman. Yeah, that's that's where I don't think if it would be... I don't think it would be... I'm not sure it would have been better since Morgana is also, like, in Legends, kind of this character that everybody yeah. sees as the, as the witch, as, yeah, as exactly. the creepy, or how you call that, you know? So, like, it's also a bit... Yeah, yeah. because she turns evil then. And, yeah. And because she's... Especially because Morgana is also often angry and fighty, which is already a really terrible stereotype for black women. Yeah, exactly. She's always angry. Yeah. I'm just... I'm just saying, this is something... But she would have started as a noble, so that's also different. Yeah. Like, the start so... of Merlin would have been this noble black woman. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but, I mean, what do you guys think about this kind of idea, then, that Angel... Because I... In the actual show, yeah, Gwen's colour is not mentioned, especially with the fact that she is in a subservient position for the majority of the show it's never brought up and of course we know that there were people of color in the in europe and in the united kingdom throughout all of history but um i i don't know very much about the the social history behind that this was obviously long before slavery but i'm trying to yeah please i have read about something that um that the arturian time that there was probably people of color in like the knights even so like Mm -hmm. i'm not sure how it worked out obviously i'm not sure if there was like racism but they were definitely like a part of Mm -hmm. even like the more socially uh upgraded or whatever position (laughs) but yeah i don't know how that worked yeah it kind of exists in this almost, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Utopian sort of uh, vision of like what race relations would look like. Because like I said, no one bats an eyelid at Gwen's color. She literally like is not treated any differently for it. Which, would you say that's good or bad? Honestly, I, I didn't care when I watched it. So to me, I think it's good for kids, I guess, because it's like a family show. I think that might be actually kind of a good... I think it's a really interesting discussion to have, though, because we didn't really go into it much with Gwen, because I think a lot of the discussions, like we said, have more to do with what happened with marketing and stuff. And like, I honestly think marketing did not do her 
any favors because they didn't talk about it and they didn't like I didn't feel like there was any protection against the hate that she eventually did get even if they didn't talk about it but everybody else did talk about it you know so they could have improved their marketing to put her maybe sometimes in more of a like how do you say it like you know a better light or like there's a lot of marketing happening where she might not even like be in the picture and stuff like that and it does it does a disservice to like like it brings more hate because they they just like they don't care about her then you know i don't think it's as bad now but i'm pretty sure that in the early years of the fandom there was a whole trend of um gwen bashing in fandom in relation to uh shipping merther because gwen was you know quote-unquote getting in the way of the slash so obviously that just made the entire it it wasn't necessarily tied into angel's uh skin color but obviously it didn't make it any better (laughs) so right yeah it's just very interesting to me that this is the way that they did it and that they just cast angel in the first place you know it's just kind of amazing and i would love to find out from the producers you know whether they cast her consciously or whether they really did just do a colorblind casting they were just like we like her and we're gonna cast her because that's what it that's what it seems like what happened which is really you know cool on the one hand could have also been motivated by the fact that no one thought merlin would get this big i wonder if you know if they had thought that you know if it had been a kind of game of thrones type of project where they expected it to blow up huge or like doctor who for example i mean they have they have black and 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 uh non-white companions on doctor who now but not really in the beginning like the closest thing we had in in the early seasons of the doctor who reboot was mickey and he was constantly portrayed as being a bit of an idiot and inept at his job what about martha and then martha but martha i mean let's be honest martha's character got treated like shit by both the show and the fans. Yeah. <laughs> so, and also Doctor Who already had a huge following. They were able to, you know, uh, allow themselves to do this. But Merlin was just like, eh, we're just, we're just a small production, bit of a family fun thing. Let's see how long this runs for. We can cast whoever the fuck we like. We will just put all these newcomers in and Anthony Head and Richard Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, that's true. Yeah, it's, I mean, I would like to think that Angel's race didn't play into the lack of screen time that she got, and it was literally just that they didn't know what to do with her as a character because she's very much just Arthur's wife, and until she's Arthur's wife, what else is there for her to do? (laughs) Like, that's maybe where they end, and and the same with Morgana. Morgana is a sorceress. What else is there for her to do? like until she gets there but i mean at the end of the day we'll never know you know whether that's whether that played into it i would like to think that it didn't but um you know what are you gonna do Uh, i think i mean but like we said it is really lovely i think that the main character on the show that was a person of color we mentioned this in the gwen episode was the most uh, positive representation of all four of them in terms of like the moral high ground for the majority temperament 
you know, good example for for people both in the show and at home watching, you know. So mm-hmm. I think that's kind of awesome. And like I said, she doesn't die. <laughs> She's the only one that survives and she yeah. gets to rule Camelot um, on her own. And that's kind of cool. Yeah. Right. Let's talk a little bit more about actual Angel and less Gwen. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I mean, I feel like it is relevant to the conversation to talk about these things because I think uh, Angel would talk about them if given a chance or if, if she, right. you know, I, th- I think especially back in the day she would have talked about it if given a chance. Right. But it's not like anybody asked her about it either. Yeah, or even I wonder how many people got to ask her about it. Right. It just really wasn't a part of the like conversation then. Like, it just wasn't a part of the conversation then. I don't remember. I mean, now, like I said, like, everyone is plugged in on it. And then people just weren't. Like, it it wasn't a priority for for, for the entertainment. I I would say that, I mean, yeah, for, for official media outlets, that's probably true. But also for, like, fan conventions, I wonder how many people managed to ask her about it there or if people were much more focused on asking about other relationships on the show rather than, you know, right. Angel Angel's character or Morgana's character. Mm. So, yeah. But yeah, let's let's move on. Uh, because, I mean, I know what, what Rox's answer is going to be, but Damon, what is your favorite <laughs> production or character that she played? I mean, Merlin has my heart, so <laughs> it's still Gwen. <laughs> But I do have from like her other stuff, like a favorite. Yes. Uh, like two favorite actually, if I can. Yeah, please. <laughs> so like uh, I really am a really big fan of uh, Man in Orange Shirt, the the mini series. It's like a two part series. Okay. And uh, although her part is she's a secondary character, but um, I don't know. She just delivers such a nice and interesting like act acting that I really fell in love with her character. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit? more about what it's about the... the show yeah okay so men in orange shirts take place in two time periods and so the first uh the first part is honestly i'm not good with time so i'm not gonna say anything because i'm gonna sound stupid but there is um i think it's my it might be world war Two. you know okay. it might be <laughs> i don't remember so the first part um centers around uh the gay love story that happens during the war okay and um actually one of the of the two people in that relationship is someone's grandparent in the second part. Okay. And he ends up also, he's also gay. So it's like a, there's like a line between both parts. And so the story centers about, um, the woman, the, the, the gay man marries actually in the first part because he has to marry and he wants to like, he, he goes to about, you know, living a normal heteronormative life. And so he does marry, um, but what, but his, it's not his kid, I forget, it's his grandson, sorry. His grandson ends up, uh, also being gay, and he's, it's his story in part two. Okay. And so in part two, the son is, um, um, like Angel's character is her, his best friend. Mm-hmm. And so we see them interact for a bit, like, maybe two, three times we see them interact. So there's really not that much of, of Angel's character, but I don't know. It's it's like, it's very interesting. Okay. <laughs> it's very beautiful because the first part is very tragic. 
because you know the, the war and uh, not being able to be together yeah the second part is very interesting because there is the main character the guy he's uh he has really big attachment issues and so he 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 goes around he sleeps around but then he finds this guy which he obviously falls for and um he does not like there's there's tricky stuff happening there with okay. his attachment issues okay and so yeah her Clody, which is Gwen, uh, Gwen, Angel's character is uh, the best friend, and she tries to make him settle down. All right. Which uh, at the end happens. Yeah, that sounds interesting. I might watch that. Yeah, it's very beautifully told. Honestly, loved it. And um, so yeah, even if that's a short, like, secondary character, um, I really loved her in there. And then in um, Innocent, which is the last thing she did, the detective show. Like, it's really not my type of show, but her delivery is just top-notch. So, it like, it takes place in my face because of her delivery. Mm -hmm. Not even, like, I mean, it's not, the show is really good, too. It's just not my type of show, but it's really, it's really well done. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I just really love her character and just every, every, like, the detailed acting, actually. It's really, really good. I loved her in that. Amazing. So yeah, those two and Gwen, <laughs> love of my life. Yes, Merlin, yeah. Yeah, like I said, I'm I'm assuming Roxas is also Gwen. Yeah, I mean, I've not seen anything else. So. <laughs> right. I really like her as Gwen. I think she didn't get as much as she should have maybe to work with, but what she did get, I I was really impressed with. She really managed to kind of play all the different facets of Gwen from the first season to the fifth and. She probably is, you know, one of the more accomplished younger actors on the show. So, mm. yeah, really, really like her as Gwen. Yeah, me too. Me too. I just wish we got more of the Gwen I prefer, but yeah. <laughs> alas, something, I like season one. Something I noticed, or at least I I think I noticed, I might be entirely wrong about it, but I want to say that when she played Gwen, it might, this might also be just because time between playing Gwen and now but I feel like her voice when she plays Gwen is a little bit higher than it is oh it is yeah at the very least in recent productions like her regular speaking voice when she isn't acting when she when she's giving interviews is uh, a bit lower and I really like that voice I really like it I really like her lower voice when it's not you know high and uh, feminine when it's just her natural voice that is a little bit lower than her Gwen voice. Well, when you listen to her in interviews and commentary, she sounds completely different. So yeah, that's that. Yeah, I I didn't I imagine this. Noticed. Okay, I'm glad. <laughs> yeah, I noticed it in. I want to say in. I mean, in Hooten and the Lady, she has she speaks with an accent, so it's not that mm -hmm. super noticeable. But in, I think in the tunnel, her voice is a little lower, and then I I peeked into. Uh, one or two interviews just for a couple of seconds and it was like wait <laughs> your voice sounds different I haven't really noticed but I think that it might be also because as Gwen she does talk in a certain way that fits among like maybe the time period yeah. she does talk like proper and all that stuff and in all the other things that I've watched her she curses she shouts and I think that is just a different way of talking yeah. maybe yeah. I don't know. I haven't really noticed it, but I feel like that might be it. But she, because she definitely does talk differently as yeah. Gwen, but I feel like it's more like a the way she talks, you know? Yeah. 
She yeah. lets a lot of her own accent bleed into her performance as Gwen in season one. It's much, oh, like, uh, it's... It's very difficult to tell, I think, unless you kind of maybe do live here. But it, you maybe maybe you can tell, like, just watch a scene of hers from season one. Say when she's helping Merlin put on the armor in Valiant and then compare it to one of her scenes as queen when she's giving like a formal address or something. And I think you will be able to tell the difference, even if you're not really kind of um, aware of English accents. I think maybe as you know a serving girl she was maybe told that she could be a bit kookier a little bit kind of uh more relaxed in terms of her body language and the way she was speaking but still high-pitched nonetheless like you said Momo but then already by season two um you can you can tell like it's this very highbrow like you said Damon this sort of um uh, posh voice which becomes even more so and you know she starts speaking with a bit more of like this what I call this like dramatic flair um that I'm not really that fond of this is the only thing that I don't really like and I don't and I think this could be the direction but especially in like her romantic scenes that she has with people it gets on on my nerves like there's uh, specifically a scene in season four, it's Darkest Hour part one, I think, when Arthur's about to go off to fight the Duraka and she comes up to him and stuff and she's really upset and uh, she sort of, like, is saying it in a way that she's sort of like, take care, you are precious. And it, like it's really squeaky and it's really, like, over the top and I'm just like, oh, I... I you were so like you're so good at the emotional stuff. I really wish you wouldn't do this. <laughs> um, because I think in there's season definitely one, desperation in the in the voice, maybe you know. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it's just not my personal cup of tea. Like that's like completely fine. I'm just not a big fan of over the top sort of vocal acting. But in season one, she had some really lovely um, vocal work that was that was emotional, but it just wasn't, in my opinion, as uh I'm, I'm just trying to think like maybe as flamboyant is the word i'm getting at but i mean there is a performance of hers in season four i absolutely adore which we'll get onto uh, when we do the favorites but yeah season five she has a very very different way of speaking um and obviously has to she's a lot more authoritative did anyone notice though that even in season five she has a different way of speaking as gwen and a different way of speaking as evil gwen i guess evil gwen is even more like tight it's I think. it's tight yeah it's um it's sort of like uh but she did already like swift uh shift to like more tighter because of her presence as queen i think already even regardless of the evil i'm not sure but i think it was already a little bit more tight because she felt like she you know she didn't ramble anymore you know Oh, for sure. Um, I'm just thinking specifically of her conversation with the Sauron, for example. You know, yeah. she has she has moments like, you know, when she's talking to Gaius or when she's talking to people she knows or even when she's giving a formal address. She still has that uh, sort of breathy tone to her voice, which makes her very approachable, very warm. And then when she speaks to the Sauron, like I always noticed it was just sort of like a you should have let him die. It was that sort of like like tightness in the throat. I was like, that's really, really yeah. cool. It's a different yeah. character. Like it's she's definitely not the same because person. then she can be fully the evil, mm-hmm. you know, the controlled Morgana version yeah. of herself. That was exactly. definitely 
the nuance there. I mean, she definitely got a lot of more, you know, we might not like the whole evil Gwen thing, but I'm sure as an actress, she was kind of excited right. to do something yeah. completely different. Exactly. out of. And she actually had a storyline then, you know? Yeah. So I'm very double-sided on that too, because it's definitely not my favorite storyline, but I also understand. And, you know, I'm a fan of Angel, so I really do, I really do like her acting yeah. that way. But I didn't like it for Gwen, you know, for her character. Oh, yeah, I didn't sure. like it for that. But definitely acting-wise, you could see more facets of her acting, which I loved. But, and also just for herself. You know, I know Angel definitely loved doing it. But, yeah, yeah. It's, it's also not my favorite. Like, I, it's not how I would have won season five to go. <laughs> no, of course not. But I'm sure yeah. that she had she had a fun time being evil. And luckily, it didn't actually stick. But, yeah, I definitely yeah, exactly. noticed a shift in the way that she was in the way that she was speaking and in the way that she was acting. And, you know, like we said, she she really got a lot to play with in season five, you know, and she's right. a very accomplished actress. So I'm sure that right. she had a lot of fun with that. And, uh, yeah, so Gwen, yeah, Gwen is the one that I, the only one that I know, and <laughs> I and I like her as Gwen. Prefer season one Gwen, but, you know, she's good in all of the seasons, you know, to varying degrees there are scenes I like less there are scenes I adore and you know but that's kind of the same with all the boys like like with the boys especially like I mean I have you know do you remember Momo when we did Labyrinth of Gedriff and Arthur like a quote-unquote dies and I was like Colin what are you doing in this scene (laughs) (laughs) what are you doing in this scene I know you can do better than that I've seen you do better than that so I think everyone has scenes that you just kind of like less than others but she really uh, has never failed to impress me I think she's very good at what she does and um yeah she is she is one of the good ones on this show so yeah like her very much awesome so what are your favorite scenes so favorite scenes gosh I'm very fond of the like shifts in power in season four there's this scene where, oh, when was it? I'm not sure what which episode it is, but like, Agravane is in charge because Arthur is on submission, and um, I think it's the scene where the the Racha are like happening. Isn't I think it's that, and her uh, and Agravane wants to shut down Camelot's doors and all that stuff, and like let the people kind of die, and I really like the scene where um, Gwen tells him not to and she stands up to the whole court and tells mm. tells them why she you know why she thinks it's a bad idea and all that and I think there's a very big shift in she is now able to do it that she has the confidence to do it because I mean she's still a servant like yes everybody knows she's like dating Arthur but she's still a servant and she still stands there and does it anyway and I like that it's not just that she does it but that there's this kind of hesitation when Agravain talks back to her, there's this like kind of hesitation, but she takes a breath and she does it anyways. And I really like that like nuance of she's probably stressed about doing it, but she has to do it for the good of like the people. So I I, I think that's like I'm not sure it's my favorite scene of her, but it's my it's like a moment that I really admire and really like. And in terms of acting too, I think it's pretty good. So I'll go with that. <laughs> I have a couple of scenes. I mean, of course I do. I I can never choose. (laughs) I have one from when she's kind of like, like it's more of like a cutesy comedic sort of uh, scene that I love. And uh, it is the scene with her and Merlin when he comes to check on her on uh, in the Mark of Nimue after her father's been cured. 
And that entire scene, like, I think that Angel plays this crush so beautifully. It's just the most heartwarming thing for me as a shipper and just as a viewer to see her, like, so much pining for him. And just she's so kind of, like, happy and smiley and breathy and, you know, sort of, like, the way that she's kind of, like, flirting but not flirting and her whole sort of, like, okay, then what am I thinking? And, you know, how she just kind of says, oh, like, I didn't mean you're funny in, like, an, like a nasty way. And then my favourite thing is, like, when he leaves, there's a close-up on her and she just kind of, like, has, like, a little smile to herself and just kind of wanders off. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, it's got all of my Moen feels, but she's just, like, it's, like, her giddiness that makes that moment for me I'm always it's one of my favorite scenes with them um and then I've got one from uh when like kind of more of a dramatic scene and I've always praised this scene I love it the way that it's done and it's the uh Arthur and Gwen scene in Lancelot Dulac where uh they're they're fighting I think she is it's I think it's her best work for me like that I've seen on the show she is sobbing like she really went to that place like she like her performance is she's confused she's come out of the enchantment she is crying but her voice is very thin like she's not like breaking down she's like speaking very quietly it's almost like you know, it doesn't even sound like she's been crying. It just sounds like she's whispering. It's really, really good. And like, you know, even when she does actually allow herself to cry in those moments, it's so like well-timed. Like even like, you know, when Arthur says, if if you were worried and she like rushes, he's like, I wasn't worried. And then like when he says, if you had any doubts and then she starts to cry when she's like, I didn't have any doubts. And she's so good in this scene. And like, you know how she kind of has that hint of fear when Arthur raises his voice and just all the rest are really, really good. I love her in that scene. And obviously, you know, very heartbreaking for the audience, but so good from an, from a, from an acting standpoint. So yeah, those are my two favorite scenes of hers. Yeah. Yeah, that was definitely acting wise also one of my favorites actually. Isn't like, it, it was so really great. angsty and beautiful, right? I didn't know she had it in her. I'll like I'll be honest, when I first watched the episode, I didn't think that she had something like that to give. Mm-hmm. It was so impressive. It always stood out for me. Would you right. say that that is also your favorite line delivery this this scene, Roxy? No, no, no. I have I have uh well then I have another one. Share. I have a couple of favorite line deliveries. Of course. They're both in season five. Uh, the first one is... Actually, no, sorry. They're both from the same episode. My bad. Uh, the first one is when she is in the tent helping the wounded. And it's... Uh, like, I will say, it, it. it's going to sound like a very weird line delivery choice to make, but when she's talking to Leon and then Leon says, you know, oh, we will do everything that we can to find him. And she turns around and, like, like grabs a hold of her stomach and like looks like she could maybe like cry or throw up like rubs her face and then as someone walks past her she just goes I need some more water but like in a way that looks like she literally could burst into tears at any moment and I was like that is so much strength like in that moment as a character I was like oh my god like she is at her lowest point and she's so strong I was oh that was amazing um and then my second one is when she uh, sentences Aira to death 
because I was just like, <laughs> kill her. <laughs> like, and you know, I like, I'm normally quite, and I, I really didn't like the kind of rapid shift that we had to watch as viewers from her being like in season four to all of a sudden like sentencing Sifa to death. That was quite jarring for me. But having then grown used to her being queen in season five, and the stakes were pretty like we knew this was the finale we knew arthur was in deep trouble like arthur was literally on his deathbed we knew this was not another monster of the week and for gwen to just kind of saunter into that like um dungeon with gwen and like for sifa to be like rambling that like she wouldn't betray her and she was like no you can go to your death saving that knowledge and i was like hang her <laughs> i was literally so excited when she finally just like and she calls the guards and that's it just gets rid of her so good and that line delivery i always like cheer for her in that moment so good um so yeah those are my those are my two favorite favorite lines what about you damon oh honestly i don't know but to continue like on on the like queen sentencing thing i actually did like the way she talked to sifa um when she was being trialed the whole respect is to be earned I think that was a very strong delivery. But, like, for favorites, honestly, I I don't know. Like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I think it was a really good scene. And, like, and I think you're right. Like, now I think with hindsight, I can appreciate it a lot more. But I guess if you think about coming from watching it in real time and in season four, like, we, and then it's three years later and she's basically a different person and we're still not used to her being in this position of power as an audience. And you have this young, vulnerable girl who we are also supposed to root for. And, you know, Gwen is just standing there towering over her and, you know, te- like telling her she's going to die. And I remember obviously at the time we don't know if she's bluffing. You know, we think she's being serious. And I remember being like, I don't like this at all this is not like this is way too ruthless for me i don't like the me, thought of Gwen. Like that because honestly i was not rooting for sifa anymore i liked right. her in the beginning but at, then at the point where it's revealed what she's doing i honestly couldn't, couldn't care less I fair guess, enough fair enough yeah but it was yeah it was hard but i kind of like the like the respect to the earned delivery yeah thing. that was very strong yeah it's really good again we would have uh, it would have been nice if that line could have been uh supported by some on-screen character development where Gwen had to earn the respect of the people. All right. Uh. I have I have two favorite lines. Woohoo! <laughs> to make up for not having a favorite scene. Uh, the first one is from Merlin, first season, because it's one of my all-time favorites. Is It's in the Lancelot episode. I've mentioned this line a couple of times before. Oh, yeah. Merlin, Merlin asks when well, if you had to, who would you choose, Lancelot or Arthur? And Gwen is like, <laughs> well, I don't have to choose, and I will, I never will. And I'm just like, oh, Gwen. <laughs> oh, Gwen, if only you knew. Right. <laughs> that is, that is just, and the way she says it, and then the, honestly, the entire, the entire moment with, with her, I like much more ordinary men like you. I mean, right. <laughs> I don't like you. I meant men like you it's just it's peak babbling gwen and i love it honestly favorite like scenes everything merlin and gwen when they have their moments are actually also like in my favorite scenes. yeah they are really like the like the comforting moments 
their moments i really like those the most i think yeah and the other one is actually from uh dancing on the edge it's in uh either second or third episode i i forgot which one <laughs> and they are set to sing uh to play for the prince of wales for the second time all right and she says that she can't she's ill and she's not she's not performing oh no sorry that's not even it's before that where she's like uh, like uh uh Shuatel's character tells her uh, his name is louis louis tells uh jesse that they are going to perform for the prince of wales again and the first time he said that or the first couple of times when he was like we're playing for this prince we're playing for that prince she was like really excited and getting a little bit nervous right. and shy and right, this right. time he tells her well we have been invited to play for the raf and uh the prince of wales will be in attendance and he specifically asked for us or someone specifically asked for us and she's just like um she she sort of i don't know if she do, actually does shrug or if it's just more of a an implied shrug but she's just like yeah, whatever basically that's mm. what you get from her and then she turns around and walks away and he's like uh aren't you aren't you going to prepare aren't you worried about she's like no we played for him before it went well he liked us then he will like us again and i'm just like the way she says it in that moment the way she delivers it this it's just this is the first time that this character that jesse has behaved this way this very right. cold sort of careless i don't care what happens i know i'm amazing kind of way and it's i remember it being such a shock to my system when i first watched it and just angel nailed that scene honestly in my mm. opinion and it's just like the way she says it he liked us before he'll like us again just like wow right <laughs> The arrogance is coming off of you in waves. I love it. Do you guys have any kind of recommendations? Can be it can it can be a fan work with regards to Angel. It can be a performance or anything really. Mm -hmm. Um. Well, in general, obviously, I would really, really, really recommend people to watch uh, Men in Orange Shirt. Uh, just really beautiful. But yeah. I do. I did search for like two fix from Merlin that were like Gwen centered. Mm -hmm. So I will wreck those two. The first one is um, "Got to Be Something Bigger Than Me" by uh, Cyber Queens, and the second one is "Guinevere and the King" by Sneech Star. That's those. The second one is like a. Um, I really like the story. It's it's uh, Guinevere is a noble, so it's it's very alternative universe, but like canon setting, I guess, like medieval. Um, and she's a she's a noble, but she ends up from another kingdom, and she ends up being asked to be a nursemaid, I guess, a nursemaid for um, Arthur's kids, who is well, King of Camelot, and has I think three kids. And um, it's very, I think it's very pretty because it's very nuanced because you have only Guinevere's side of the story and Arthur puts himself in like a position where he acts like he does not care. So we don't really get to see why he's acting the way he is. 
only from like Guinevere's eyes, which to her in the beginning, it's very, he's cold. But why is he giving me these like second signals, I guess, like these mixed signals, that's the word, mixed signals. So I thought that was very interesting and really well written. Um, Honestly, I forgot what the first one was, but I did write it down. So I guess it's a good one. (laughs) (laughs) That's all right. It's more of a surprise for the listeners to go and check it out. Do you remember, um, is it just a, character centric or does it have a pairing or um got to be something better than me was oh right it's a post canon one I, I remember it's post canon and i really liked well it is it's not centered around around the pairing but it's canon pairing so it's like arthur and gwen mm-hmm. but it's um it's really interesting because almost everyone comes back but there's a really big storylines involving guinevere involving what she did as queen after arthur died mm-hmm. and i thought that was very well done yeah. and very interesting. That sounds interesting. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you. So I have three vidrecs for you, uh, all angel-specific. One is to the uh, song called Steady, and the vid is made by Call Me Tamika. The second one was a happy, uh, was a birthday video for one of Angel's birthdays. It was really fun. It was like, like all of these are like quite upbeat songs. They're, uh, they're really, really cool. And uh, again, the really, really good editing, all three of them. I really enjoyed them because I actually like looked for a long time for like ones that I actually really liked so I chose the ones I really did like um and then the third one is uh she's like shooting stars and uh this one I do know was to airplanes because uh obviously the title also suggests it and they're all really fun they've all got lots of fun pictures of her or footage of her in in various shows and things and yeah so if you want to go look at some angel fan vids there you are awesome my break would be to watch her in Hooten and the Lady because it's a fun character that she plays. She gets to beat up people. (laughs) (laughs) She wears wears a lot of leather. She speaks with an accent. Her haircut is really cute. Just watch it because she's she's cool in it. It's a it's a really cool little thing that she did and you can watch it as a standalone. You don't Really need to watch yes. the other episodes of Hooten and the Lady to understand what's going on. It will become apparent within five minutes of watching the episode what the dynamic between the main characters is. Right. And uh, because I think it's the third or fourth episode of the first season, so it's all still very early. So you know, it's it's very obvious what these people what these people are like. So yeah, definitely. Go watch. I would also recommend you to watch Dancing on the Edge. Right, I was going to say it. Because too. it is actually a really good miniseries. It has some very interesting uh, fake history. <laughs> yeah. Sort of. Well, it's not super fake history. It's fake in that this, uh, this band didn't exist. But obviously there are real life characters... Uh, right. in it like the, yeah. like the the British royalty that existed and all of that but it's still it's it's basically uh, an AU of the real world <laughs> right <laughs> and can I add um, even without watching Dancing on the Edge I really recommend the watch uh, watching listening the album it's on yeah. like I think it's like on iTunes and maybe also on like Spotify because it's just such a really nice jazz album. So if you like jazz, 
it's very professionally done and you can listen to Angel Kobe sing. Yeah. So that's also a rap. Yeah, I've listened to a bunch of the songs. They're really good, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's really nice. It's like also a bit like festive, you know? There's a Christmas song in there, I think. Ah, I remember. Nice. It's very it's very festive. Yeah. It's jazz. It's lovely. We go. Uh, could we be at the end of the episode? Uh, we are very nearly at the end of the episode. That is, that is very true. For anyone who wants to find me elsewhere on social media, I'm Momotastic27 on Tumblr, and you will find all kinds of reblogs there. And I'm Momotastic on Archive of Our Own for Fix. And I'm Miss Snowfox on Tumblr and many other platforms apart from youtube where i'm magical unicorn 22 so come check me out there and where can we find you damon so i'm sad pendragon on twitter instagram youtube on archive of our own amazing our theme music was composed by sidesteppings exclusively for Merlisten. Our news jingle is by Mansardian on freesound.org, where I assume I will find all the other jingles we said we were going to put into this episode. So if there were more jingles, I probably found them there. The manip for our cover was made by Brolin's Keep, and the cover was made by me. And finally, next time, in two weeks, we are going to do another episode review. We are going to talk about the second episode of the second season, Once in Future Queen. Until then, I have been Momotastic. I've been Miss Snowfox. And our guest was... Seth the Dragon. Bye! Bye! Bye!